Good morning. How's everybody? I'm going to apologize right off the bat. Um, I'm going to be very annoying to listen to this morning, if you can't tell. Um, I'm on like day five of a head cold, and it's starting to go down into my throat. And yeah, we'll see how we make out here in the next 20 minutes. Um, also, I apologize for the informality of sitting down. Um, one of the joys of missionary life that we're actually going to talk about this morning is um, back in May, my wife and I contracted a rare tropical disease called chikungunya. Um, fever, rash, and incredible pain all over your body. Um, the pain lasted, I don't know, six, eight weeks for me generally. But ever since, for the last five months, um, it hurts to walk. I can't walk without pain. Um, so I'm not going to stand here either. Um, and then just yesterday, it started to come back into my legs a little bit. So I am going to sit, if you don't mind. Um, and hopefully, we can just get through what we need to this morning. Um, I do want to talk a little bit, just a few brief moments here, about who we are and, and what we're doing in Bolivia. But I want to spend the bulk of our time actually busting some myths about missionaries. Um, and you'll see that as, as we go along. Um, yeah, who we are. Kaylee and I call Bozeman home. Um, neither one of us are from here originally, but we both were here at Montana Bible College. I graduated with um, my BA in, in 2005, uh, so 10 years ago. Pretty amazing. Um, God has, has done a lot of crazy things in those 10 years. Um, as I said, this is going to be a very brief introduction to us. If you are interested more in, in what we're doing, um, we're going to be in uh, the fireside room on Sunday the 25th, 9 o'clock. And they're just going to be talking about what we're doing. But um, here's a, a brief intro. We work at a place called Entrenamiento Misionero Etnos, which is, as you can see there on the screen, an extension of New Tribes Mission in Bolivia. Um, as an organization, as an agency, New Tribes Mission's focus is taking the gospel to unreached people groups, um, wherever they may be found in the world. Uh, our focus is mostly on groups that do not have scripture or have not been taught in their own language, and most importantly, that do not have mature churches that are self-governing, self-supporting, self-propagating. All right? So some of the things that you guys are learning about what church should be in your classes um, is, is what we want to see in all of the unreached people groups around the world. Um, we do work in Bolivia, specifically in the city of Santa Cruz. And as I mentioned, we work at this place called Etnos. Any Greek scholars in here? Anybody want to take a stab at what Etnos means? Con considering the name of our organization? <laughs> it comes from the word, Greek word for nations in Matthew 28, 19. The Greek word, how is it in Greek, Gael? Ethnos? Ethnos. Guess what? In Spanish, they don't do a th. So it changes to t. And the O is a nice pure O, so it's ethnos. Um, 
because of our focus on unreached people groups, obviously. And what is it? It's a three-year training program for cross-cultural church planners. Uh, most of our students are 20 to 25 years old. Uh, most of them come straight out of high school. A few of them have some secular training or work experience. Uh, very few have any kind of formal Bible training. So our focus is training them in Bible, training them in how to learn language, training them um, how to learn culture, issues with worldview, tribal religion, um, things that they are not familiar with. So that when they go out into a village and meet people that are vastly different from them, they can, can clearly and accurately transmit the gospel to those people. Um, our students come from all over South America. Currently we have Bolivians, Argentinians, and Chileans. In the past there have been Brazilians, Peruvians, Paraguayans. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting place to work. Um, to make all this possible, this isn't, this isn't something that you can do in a format like Montana Bible College, where you can come and you, you pick your classes, you choose what you want to do. It's a very well-packaged uh, training program. Um, so it's a, a full-time course over the course of three years. You, if you want to successfully complete the, the program, you come, you start at year one, and you go through everything together as a unit um, with, your, with your classmates, and you do all the same things. Um, we have a 40-hour study week, which is exciting. That includes things like raking leaves. Campus maintenance is an important part of our study program. You can ponder that a little bit and ask me about it later if it doesn't make sense. Um, community outreach. Getting our students out into the community is also an important part of what we're trying to do. Um, to make that possible, everybody lives on campus, staff and students. Um, the building that you see in the picture there is the end of the student dorm. Um, and if you look over here, uh, laser doesn't show up very well, but right on the edge of that picture you can see a post. That's the corner of my house. So all my students live in that big white building and I can practically spit at them from my, my porch. Not that I would, but there's, there's my house. Um, it makes it a lot simpler. For one, you don't have to worry about transportation and things. Um, most of our students can't afford vehicles, and public transportation takes a lot of time. Um, it also affords 24-7 discipleship, or the possibility thereof. Um, you think about what's necessary to do good discipleship. Scripture, time, relationship. For me, those are the three key things. Okay. We've got lots of time, and it's not unusual for people to show up at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, knock on the door, they have a question about their homework, they have a problem with their church that they want to talk about, they have a question about um, their kid, um, Kaylee's the only young mother on campus um, among the staff, and so she has, has often gotten questions from a couple of the young ladies um, that have young children among the students. Um, so it's a very unique situation. Um, and these are the people that we rub shoulders with on a daily basis, both staff and students. Um, 
for the sake of time, I'm going to skip some of the other things that I have here about what we're actually doing. Um, as I mentioned, you guys can come and, and hear our presentation on the 25th, or we're here. We're going to be here in Bozeman until March. We'll hang out, you know. Um, the office knows how to get a hold of us, and the church does too. So um, I want to transition into my main topic for the morning, which is four myths of modern missionaries. And you may wonder why in the world I think that you guys need to know myths about missionaries. How many of you are hoping to get into pastoral ministry and be a pastor? Awesome. You guys are going to drive, as the pastors of your churches, you're going to drive the mission-mindedness of your church. That's just the way it works. If you have a missionary heart, that is going to come through in the way that you lead your people. How many of you want to be missionaries and serve overseas? I'm hoping to give you guys some good expectations today. Maybe we'll burst some bubbles. I don't know. Maybe this will be an encouragement. I hope so. Um, but let's talk about some of these things. How many of you are not planning to do either one of those two things? Guess what? You two have a part to play in this. You know missionaries, or you will know missionaries. I hope. I hope you do. And you have an opportunity to encourage and help and um, be a support in a way that does not include money or prayer. Those are the two things that we talk a lot about in missionary support. Guess what? Encouragement is a third one that is huge for us. Um, so everyone in this room has a part to play in this task of, of missions. And so I want to talk about these four things, things that I consider to be myths for us. Did that go? It did not. Sometimes I can't tell what's going on here. There we go. Four things. Super Christians, narcissists, living the high life, and sacrifice? What sacrifice? So, let's dive right in here. Super Christians. Are missionaries super Christians? It's kind of a funny question you might ask, but this is the reality that we face as missionaries. People put us on a pedestal. What if we took off Dave here and put up me? That's how a lot of people see us. And it comes through in the things that they say. I could never do what you do. Or, you must have so much faith. Man, um, I really don't know what to do with that. The reality of this job is that we do everything that we do with fear and trembling. We are not amazing people. It's not easy, and it's not comfortable. So the question is, why does this matter? Why does it matter? Um, I mean, isn't it great to be put up on a pedestal and people think you're really cool and awesome? It's not. It gets lonely up there. People can't relate to us if they think that we're somehow a higher class Christian, if we are untouchable, 
if we're some amazing person, people don't relate to us. They don't talk to us in human ways. They talk to us in superhero ways. And it gets lonely. Another thing is that people won't do what we do. Now, I know that God is not calling everyone to go overseas. That's not how God works. But I would hate for someone to use, I can never do that. I don't have the faith for that as an excuse to not do something that God would have them do. And the third and probably the most important factor in this is that putting us up on a pedestal blows our weaknesses and failures way out of proportion. It's the same for pastors. It's the same for Bible college teachers. It's the same for anybody in ministry in this sense. Just the concept that the higher they are, the harder they fall. As an example, one of our students, her name's Ellie, um, she came into the training program with this idea, and probably the worst case of it that I've ever seen. She wanted to be a missionary, but she had this idea that missionaries were these great and wonderful people that had left their homeland behind, and they'd come to my country, and they were helping us spread the gospel. Well, yeah, but guess what? She started living with us for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and she realized that we yell at our kids, and we fight sometimes. We don't agree as a team, and some of us are proud. Some of us complain. Kind of burst her bubble a little bit, and she got over it, and she realized that that's a huge encouragement. She realized that she didn't have to be an amazing person to follow this path of ministry that God had laid out before her. What a blessing. Now, it's fine for me to sit here and tell you about my experiences and what I see, but that doesn't have a lot of value unless we can throw it against Scripture and have an objective standard. So let's look at what Paul said about himself. 1 Timothy 1. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, the question here is what is he talking about? Is he talking about his life before he was saved? Before his Damascus Road experience? When he was persecuting Christians? Absolutely not. What does he say? He doesn't say, I was the worst, or I used to be a terrible person. Another translation renders this, I was the chief, or I am the chief of sinners. What an interesting picture. Not only does he say that, but we have a classic example of Paul falling into a trap that grabs many, many missionaries. In Acts 15, we see Paul and Barnabas wanting to go out and do another trip, go encourage their churches. And guess what? They don't agree about whether to take John Mark. And they got into such a sharp dispute, their team broke up. They split. Think about that. What happens to missionary teams that split today? Or ministry teams, churches that split? bad, bad things. This was a terrible thing. Did God use it? Absolutely. 
but it was a terrible thing. And you know what? I'm pretty sure it happened because Paul was an absolute knucklehead. All right, we'll just throw that out there, and there's reasons for that. So please understand, we are not superheroes. Yes, we're doing hard, important work, but we're also fragile, normal people that are empowered by God to get it done. Um, another example is what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, where he says that he didn't come with eloquence and human wisdom. That was not his purpose. He was nobody special coming to them, but he was coming to them with the power of God. Now, the opposite side of that coin is if we're not superheroes, if we're not Christian, super Christians, then why in the world do we talk about ourselves all the time? Why am I here talking to you about myself? Because I'm a narcissist. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. I'm proud, I'm arrogant, I love to talk about myself. You should look at my Facebook profile. All right? Now, I don't know if anybody actually has this perspective or not, but this is what I feel. This is the burden that we bear as missionaries. Self-promotion. Yes, we send out newsletters for five times a year. We hand out these little cards with our picture on them and our phone number, our email address, and people put them on their refrigerators. Well, talk about self-love, right? Every chance we get when we're back here in the States, we get up in front of people and we talk about what we're doing. We even have blogs and Facebook for when we're gone. You know what? This isn't about me. I'm not trying to promote myself. I want people to know about what we're doing because it's something amazing that God is producing to further his kingdom, to fulfill Christ's commandment. The problem is we need well-informed supporters. We cannot do what we do, where we are doing it, without the generosity of people who invest in our ministry financially. I want those people to know very well what they're investing in. I want them to see the results of what they're putting their money into. And even if we had all the money in the world, we wouldn't last in the ministry we're in without people praying specifically for the needs that we have on a day-by-day -day and month-by-month -month basis. Vague prayer, or vague prayer requests, excuse me, yields vague prayer. God bless the missionaries. Awesome, thank you. But if I send a letter that says, hey, here's some of the problems we're facing, people can pray more specifically. And that is a huge help and blessing to us. In all reality, this whole thing about narcissism um, is, is really the opposite of the truth. We'd love to just have our own private life and not be accountable to several hundred people and three churches and a mission agency. It'd be nice to just have my job and my home and my family and we just kind of do our own little thing, go to church, live life. What about Paul's perspective? You know what? He talked about his ministry too. We do not want you to be informed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. He too took time to write and say, hey, these are the things that we're dealing with. In most of his epistles, 
Paul talks about his experiences. He shares the things that are going on. Look at the letter of Philippians. Its purpose is to thank them for their support. They had sent him a gift. They had become partners with him in his ministry in a very special way. And most of, of that letter, yes, it has some awesome doctrinal passages in it. Chapter 2 is just mind-blowingly amazing in how it lays out who Jesus is. But a significant chunk of that epistle is written about Paul's ministry and what is going on in his life. So, there you go. That's our perspective of narcissism. So we're going to flip to myth number three. Live in the high life. Oh yeah, guess what? People pay me to travel around the world. Isn't that sweet? Okay, why is this not going? There we go. Now things are happening. I get to take my kids, and we go on an airplane, and it's cool. Right? I live in a tropical paradise. I mean, look at this place. Got some amazing stuff happening there. Sweet wildlife. I don't know why it doesn't show up here, but... um, Pretty sweet gig. I mean, when you think about it. And food? That's $15 worth of vegetables and fruit. Um, this is me celebrating my birthday. You can't see it very well in this picture, but that's a, like a, probably a 12-ounce steak. It is amazing. I cannot tell you. I'm sorry for all of you Montanans. It's kind of sad to come back here. Okay, I, just, I hate to say that, but the beef, oh my word. Um, 12-ounce steak, nice big fat sausage. The other plate is for cheesy rice, fried yuca, pasta salad, and tomato and onion salad. Six bucks. Ready-made. And guess where? The most hilarious part about it, it's a food court. Like, I'm buying steak in a food court. Like, right. And if you don't want to go out, you can just do it at home on the grill. That's my grill, and we're having a good time. We also have lots of adventure. I mean, that's sweet, right? I mean, we get to, come on now. Is that going to do its thing or not? Nope, I guess it's not going to do it. Well, doggone it. Um, That was going to be a really sweet video about me crossing a river in my Nissan Patrol um, with my brother in his Land Cruiser. And um, super fun. Nice. Now it's so bogged down it's going to kill my PowerPoint. Yep. Sweet. Um, Yeah. Take that as a lesson, missionaries. Do not put videos in PowerPoints. (laughs) So, pretty sweet, right? I live an awesome life overseas. Okay, we're going to open that up. And we're just going to skip that slide because it's going to crash things again. The problem is that the woo-hoo feeling of living in a foreign country goes away. The honeymoon ends. And you realize 
that you've married a situation that is not as wonderful as it appeared. So we're just going to change this. You know what? World travel is incredibly overrated, especially with kids. I'm done, seriously. And we've only been at it for four and a half years. We've done the there and back journey twice now. Um, tropical paradise, mm, yeah. We show you the nice pictures. That's the river that runs through the middle of the city in Cochabamba. Um, people digging through the trash, dogs getting into it on the street. Um, and they don't even show the stench and the noise and all that. Um, how's this one? I took that picture in my office Christmas Eve. Get into the Christmas spirit. 92 degrees in the house and 10 degrees hotter outside. Yeah, it's not at all it's cracked up to be. Um, the, the other pictures I showed of the, the animals were mostly taken in the zoo, except the last one of the sloth. This was not. No, it's not my hand. I did take the picture, and it's not alive. Um, but, yeah. We don't have tarantulas in our house, but we do have scorpions, cockroaches, and ants. So, and centipedes. Um, and those fruits and veggies, I buy once or twice a week at a local mud hole that someone saw fit to put a market in. Um, not my favorite place to go and do my shopping. At the beginning, yeah, it was sweet. Like, hey, this is really authentic. And no, it's terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh oh, I just tried to load another video. Um, the second video is of me getting my patrol stuck in a big mud hole and my brother having to pull me out. Because the adventure isn't always that great either. So, not really living the high life. And I think we could say the same thing about Paul. Do you think he enjoyed his ministry? Do you think that he loved the opportunities that he had? He got to meet some of the most powerful men in the world. My wife is waving at me. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I really need to stop. Um, we're past time. Um, let me finish this point, and then we can fit, be done. Um, Paul had some really crazy experiences, and I left out the persecution persecution stuff, because we don't really deal with that, but um, yeah, we, we deal with a lot of these things um, to one degree or another. The flip side of that coin is if it's not that we're living the high life and it's actually as terrible as I make it sound, then why do we make statements like this? Why do people like David Livingstone who spent his life mostly separated from his family, dealing with disease, rivers, floods, famine. You know, I mean, his, his resume of, of terrible experiences is, is probably equal to Paul's or um, similar. Anyway, and yet he's famous for saying to a group of Cambridge students, I never made a sacrifice. Why is that? Well, if we look at what Paul said, in Romans 8.18. This was his perspective as well. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let me just be very honest. I have several different slides here that talk about missionary stress and what it's like to live with 
uh, roadblocks, blockades, civil unrest, uh, not being able to get into town for eight weeks at a time because of people protesting the government. Um, and that's just, that's a very small fraction. Talk about going to the ER with your daughter in a third world country, one and a half years old, and blood all over her eye because she got cut with glass right here. Stress, pain, and suffering. Let's just be honest, it's a sacrifice. For you that want to be missionaries, understand, there will be sacrifice. Even if it's only leaving your family, leaving your friends, leaving Montana, not having snow, there's a lot of things. But there's sacrifice. But let's also keep in mind the perspective here that we see that it's not worth comparing to the glory that's to come. Let's be honest about those things. But let's also make that day-by-day -day and moment-by-moment -moment choice to live with joy and live with contentment because it is worth it. There is an end result that is worth fighting for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the work that you are doing in Bolivia, in Pakistan, in Bozeman. Thank you for these students. Thank you for the places that you want to send them. Whether it's China or Weibo. Father, we just love you and we appreciate the things that you do to encourage us, to bless us each day. Thank you for supporting us in the hard times. And thank you for giving us the ultimate purpose, knowing that we are sharing in your glory. And we have the incredible opportunity to be your ambassadors and take that glory to others. I just pray that you would bless these students this day, this week, this semester. Give them the strength and courage that they need to face each day, each class, each paper and test. And I pray that this time of study would be a blessing to them and that you would use it greatly in the future. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ and for his death, which is the only reason that we're still here. We pray in his name. Amen.